everyone, welcome to the 10th episode of the Chem Convo podcast. Before we introduce today's guest, we just want to thank all of our current listeners, anyone that is going to listen to today's episode, and also all our previous guests for being, being amazing, interesting people. And we look forward to having all the guests on our future episodes too. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Kim Stewart. Kim is a 2020 member of the EWOT committee. This is the committee for empowering women in organic chemistry. She's a former leader of the Small Molecule Discovery and Development Group at Corteva AgriScience and has recently moved on to Pastures New, soon to be a global leader in the chemistry ingredients at Cargill. Kim, would you like to introduce yourself, please, and tell us more about your work at Cargill? I appreciate the invitation and happy to, to be here this morning. What Cargill does, we're in the agricultural food and bioindustrial businesses and so all the way really from the farm to the fork Cargo has its footprint. It's 155,000 employees globally so it's the largest company I've worked for for sure and so my current role here I'm in R&D and I lead the global ingredient chemistry team and so part of the team is based here in Minneapolis where I am the other part of the team is primarily based in Belgium. And then prior to Minneapolis, I was in Indianapolis, <laughs> the other FLI, working for Teva AgriScience, which was the ag company that came out of the Dow uh, DuPont merger. And so I joined the, the Heritage Dow company out of grad school in there. Dow AgriScience's Corteva focused on crop protection-based research. So new insecticides, fungicides, and herbicides. And was there for just about eight years before I came to Cargill. And I was fortunate to join what was Dow at the time right out of grad school. So I did not do a postdoc and I got my PhD with Jeff Johnson at UNC Chapel Hill. And before going to grad school, actually after undergrad, I decided to work for a couple of years before jumping into a five-year commitment, right? I said, let me make sure I really, you know, want to do this and make sure this is really a career that I wanted to pursue long-term just due to the, I would say, yeah, grad school is a pretty big commitment. And so I worked at a small pharmaceutical company doing, you know, drug discovery type research. And then, yeah, I guess prior to that, I was at Duke University, which is where I got my undergrad degree in chemistry. So I was in North Carolina for quite some time, but I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. So that's where I grew up. Ohio, North Carolina. Indiana. Yeah. I thought I keep going South where it's warm all the time, but I mean, don't get me wrong. It's very warm in Minnesota in the summertime. I'm not too aware of kind of US geography. If you go any more South, kind of where, where would you end up? Oh yeah. You, south, uh, I guess the further South on the East Coast would be like Florida. So North Carolina, South Carolina, you get into Georgia and then Florida, if you stay along that coastline. Yeah. And then Minnesota, I guess North of here is probably Canada. So I was just saying that we should have brought the the champagne with the sound and everything. Thank you for being our 10th guest. It's really exciting. So yeah, I I also said that I need to warn all the listeners that I'm going to be extremely excited for this episode because it's Ewok and I'm really passionate about it. And one of the questions is obviously about Ewok. So could you tell us more about it and just show your perspective on it? How did you, how did you get involved and et cetera? Yeah. So the first inaugural meeting was back in 2019. Meeting was in person at that time. So it was small. I think, at, you know, at the time being on campus, it needed to be capped to a certain uh, number of participants. And so I think if I, I wasn't at the, on the committee at that time, so I was just, you know, went as a participant. And when I heard about this conference, it's like, yeah, 
definitely have to go and, you know, see what, to see what, you know, the turnout is. And then, you know, it was pretty amazing to go and be there because I can't remember any time actually that I was in a room that was just full of female scientists, particularly who were organic chemists. And so it was just a really amazing atmosphere to be a part of. And, you know, as part of that conference, some differences maybe from the virtual, I mean, some of the same components, you know, we had great talks, we had poster sessions and also some workshop workshops and various opportunities to network with each other. And so after the conference, when I was there, of course, you know, networking and talking to people, it was actually Mary Watson, who was part of that inaugural committee, who reached out and asked if I would like to be a part of the organizing committee. So I think at the time, you know, just to have representation from, you know, the ag industry, which I would say is underrepresented, can be under, what wasn't represented there was, you know, pharma academia was primarily the makeup at the time. So I was more than happy to, to join in and offer perspective and help in any way, as shape or form. And so at the time, we were actually planning for the 2020 conference <laughs> to be in person again. And then enter COVID. And so that kind of threw a wrench and everything. But there was a lot of momentum that was gained from the first conference. We did not want to lose it. And so uh, we quickly pivoted to making the conference virtual, which had a lot of benefits because now you could reach a much larger audience than also keep the momentum going. I think, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, people were like, oh, you know, a lot of conferences, a lot of things were canceled. (laughs) And so just to to give, you know, a breath of, you know, life (laughs) back into, I guess, both the the industry and uh, academic worlds in terms of a a conference to attend where you can go hear about science and and meet other people in the field. And so we're super excited that we're able to uh, pull it off. So I think you go from like around 200 people in person, the first one to over 800 people who, you know, who registered for the virtual conference. It was really great because we were able to engage people all across the world, which isn't possible in an in-person format. And so, of course, we didn't know what the situation was going to be for 2021. But, you know, as we all know, we're still finding our way out of the pandemic and finding ways, you know, when the right time is going to be for everyone to be able to, to be together in a large gathering setting. And so did a virtual again this year. And so the feedback has just been amazing from people who participate. And so I'm really happy that this is a conference that a lot of people look forward to who come excited like yourself, Medina. I think it's a great opportunity to network and to hear good stories because I think the uniqueness, you know, of the talks, yes, it is, you know, science and things like that, but the, each of the speakers and everyone who participates shares their own story because we all have a story, right? And so I think that's, you know, the part of the talk and listening that people um, enjoy the most, but then also, you know, offering workshops, you know, another way to connect with others, but also topics that are relevant to helping us continue to, to grow ourselves and our professional development. So super excited to, to be a part of such a great conference that uh, reaches so many, I guess, women and males across the globe. Yeah, it's so easy to feel like 
a left out. Like I never thought about chemistry as being men dominated field until I started going to the interviews and, and, you know, like the being in a, in a conferences and like other gatherings, you, you notice that, okay, you're, you're, you're kind of like the only, or, or like the, the minority there. So it's, it, it's just such an amazing feeling to feel like you're home. And like, it, it's, this conference makes you very comfortable and like in your zone and, and yeah, it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing conference. It's just because even when I was an undergrad, I was actually once undergrad thinking I was going to go to med school. Everyone, I think a lot of people. I think everyone. I think a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. May start that way, but when I took organic chemistry, I really just fell in love, pivoted, and decided to major in chemistry. And even in you know the classes post organic, where you know no longer all the people who take organic who are going to med school or some other pursuing some other profession or choose that they hate chemistry afterwards because I think it's a love hate. <laughs> type of class you know the classes got a lot smaller but it just so happened to be I guess for people who were taking the courses at my time it wasn't male dominated right and so it was a good ratio of male female who were always in these classes and so it wasn't that I was not aware that you know science in general was male dominated it's just something that wasn't really top of mind as you know, you're going through your undergraduate coursework just because of the community and interviewing for jobs is when it was just like, wow. Right. And so I was just like, where are all the, <laughs> the, the female chemists? Right. And so from a cultural standpoint of where, you know, I worked prior to going back to grad school, it, there were no issues or anything like that, but it was just, it wasn't until like you step your foot in the door, like I'm going to go into the industry, you know, and and get a job that's just like, oh, I see. <laughs> and so I, I think, you know, having a conference like Ewok, I think that's what makes it so powerful because sometimes, you know, on your day-to-day, you can feel, depending upon where you work, right, you can feel isolated and maybe alone and there are, you know, certain issues or different, I guess, situations that we, you know, as females may encounter in the workplace that, if there are not a lot of other females around navigating that and seeking out, you know, I guess a community of people who you can lean on to, to get advice or even just get things off your chest in a, a safe place. I think, you know, Ewok definitely offers that. And I think a lot of that came through. So the night before, like the big conference, we had networking sessions, right? And so you can go based on topic and, and participate. And so I think a lot of the feedback from the rooms is, you know, those conversations got real personal, real emotional, like depending upon the topic, which is great. It was like, this is awesome. This is what we, this is what we want for people to feel safe here, to talk about whatever's on their mind. So I think that's, I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, to have something dedicated for women to allow them to have that voice that, like you said, they may not have otherwise, if it was in the workplace, it's just, well, it is empowering, you know, it's in the name and it, yeah. it is you know, fantastic to see hopefully that growing from strength to strength in, you know, the years to come and just to yeah. see how that develops. It'll be brilliant. And it's just not an industry, right? It's probably in grad school too. So I don't know. Everywhere. Lab or, you know, graduate program, I don't know. Is the male-female ratio good, bad, okay? I'd say probably around 60, 40, 70, 30. So, you know, male to female. So it's, how, how do you define bad? But I, I would certainly say, you know, we want it to be more 50-50, whether it be numbers as well as, you know, things like pay as well. So a big issue is gender pay gaps and across all industries. I think that's something that needs to be reevaluated in the modern era. 
we had another question so about obviously your job we talked previously before we started recording about kind of how you transitioned between different roles we just had a question about how kind of what made you choose the company that you work for now was it around kind of support for females the specific work that you're doing could you maybe elaborate on that a bit yeah, so I would say my decision to come to Cargill versus, you know, making, I guess, the career change or jump from Dow Corteva was mainly around the opportunity. And so I loved, you know, working at Dow Corteva and it wasn't, well, it wasn't an easy decision. It's probably one of the hardest decisions <laughs> that I had to make. So during my time there, you know, I started off as you know, at the bench, heavily at the bench out of grad school, you know, coming up with new ideas and hypotheses and, you know, going to lab and making small molecules. And what was really fun about doing ag-based research, you know, because I worked in farming too, was that we could test our compounds directly on our host right away. So like, you know, you can't, in farming, you just can't say, oh, I made this compound, come here, human, and let me let me see if this if this works. But, you know, working with plants, you can do that. And so that was really exciting to be able to see like this first to the world ever molecule. And like, is it having the effect that I wanted to have? And so it was, you know, a lot of excitement. So I really enjoyed doing that type of work. And then, you know, eventually moved into project management and then ultimately to, to leading people. And so people ask me like, oh, what are you passionate about? And it's like, it's really three things. It's science, people, and learning, right? And so I was really in that, you know, really happy medium of those three things, always learning, getting to interact and lead people. And then of course there was still the, the science component. Even in, you know, my last role there where I was leading the discovery chemistry fungicide group, I still had a hood. So it was like, even though I was wearing all these different hats, I had in hundred percent walked away <laughs> from the bench, right? That was something that I was definitely going to have to give up coming to, to Cargill. And so being definitely more remote from being in the lab in the day to day. But at some point, the decision had to, to be made in terms of where does the drive come from? Where, what are you most passionate about? You know, I think ask me like, you know, when I was at Corteva, if something had to go away, what would I be most okay with, right? And so it's that question is like, oh, I don't want to go away from my bench, but it's just like, but if you take away, you know, all of the other, you know, the people and, you know, the ability to, I guess, to be a part of, you know, helping drive strategy and make, making decisions to, to better the organization, I think that part would have been harder than giving up the bench. And so I think deep down, I knew at some point I was going to be walking away from the bench. I was going to have to make, you know, that ultimate decision. But really, you know, the opportunity at Cargill is like, okay, and it's just like, you know, if you're going to, you know, pivot and really get into to leadership, it was like mm-hmm. opportunity to lead a global team was something that wasn't, I guess, you know, on my immediate radar where I was. And so it's like, I can't not try and go do this, but, you know, there's still the component of learning. And so it's like getting to go into this organization to basically also be building a team up because it was a relatively new team. Coming together was global was super exciting. And then also, you know, doing what I was doing at the time, crop protection, that's like early in the food supply chain. And there's so much that happens <laughs> after, right? It's like, it's like, yes, step one, you need to help farmers grow as much crop as possible on their land. But post-harvest, there's so much that still has to happen in order to, I guess, turn that crop into food and other types of ingredients and Cargill is involved in like all aspects of that. So it's just like, you know, for me, 
having become very passionate about food and ag uh, to come full circle and see everything come together was really an opportunity that I couldn't be like, no, I'm good. I'll (laughs) stay here. But, you know, and so I think it was really just that opportunity to make that career jump, you know, at that point in my career, you know, you look back, I was like, glad I said, no, I'd be kicking myself in the rears every day. Right. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. definitely. I was like, I could not ask myself what if about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it sounds like a, yeah. a, a very brave move. Yeah, brave move, because it's like, yep, middle of pandemic, and I'm going to go and, <laughs> you know, start a new job when people aren't in the office. And <laughs> how, how was the career move like during a pandemic, would you say? You know, still has, you know, it's challenges, right? But I think it's one of the things everyone's kind of in the same boat of figuring out this new way of working. And Cargill is, like I said, it's the, the largest company to work for too. I mean, obviously you have your, you know, support system, but it's like, yes, meeting people virtually and interacting with them, you get a, you can get a sense of, you know, the person and what they're feeling and what they're thinking, but there's still something about that in-person interaction that just doesn't come through. And so I think for me, the hardest part, like I said, my team is global, right? And so I haven't yet been able to meet half of my team in person because they're literally across the ocean. And so I'm hoping that later this fall, that that will happen as things appear to be improving and travel uh, won't be so restrictive. But I would say that's been the hard part. And then you know, just all the organic relationships that you can build in the workplace just by being in the office. You just have to put in the extra effort to, to meet people. And it's not ideal to like just be on a Zoom or we use Teams on our Teams call all day behind a camera, just meeting person after person after person, right? And so it's taking just a little bit, maybe longer than would have to meet a bunch of, of people in the new role. But I would say I just took it in bite-sized pieces, right? So it's like one pandemic or no pandemic, start a new job, it can be overwhelming. It's like so much to do, so many people to meet. And so just, you know, being patient with myself, like focusing on like, what's the most important right now? And, you know, focus on those things. And then as, you know, check those, check those things off the list. And then, you know, you find your feet on the ground and it's like, okay, I can <laughs> float a little bit more. <laughs> and my feet again, and, you know, you just take it, you know, slowly. So. Yeah. And no, it sounds to me that you, you're listening to yourself always, which is very, very important. And it's really nice in terms of like, what do I want to do? What, what, what can I do right now? And I've, yeah, I guess I've always known as people was like, just go with my gut, which so far really hasn't led me astray. And I try not to, you know, overthink those things in which my gut reaction is really strong you know, and making some, you know, the career decisions and things like that. So far, my gut hasn't necessarily steered me wrong. So uh, I hope that continues to be yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah, you have a good gut. If that, if that, if you can even say something like that, and it sounds weird, but you got what I mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Another question that I had in terms of, so I know that when, when you, when you finish school, when you're coming out of school, you usually have no idea what field of chemistry you really want to dedicate yourself to or not not in the field of chemistry but in terms of like there's so many companies and like organic chemistry is such a broad field and you can do so many things with it so how did you came to to the field that you wanted to narrow yourself down like was it a just a gut feeling as you said or was it just the circumstances or your or that's what you wanted to do yeah no that's a great question I think going into grad school as I was working in the pharma industry I may have been a little bit bias going in, in terms of I'm going to go to industry versus I want to teach. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think from that 
I guess, high level career decision in my mind. I don't think that my mind was ever truly open to wanting to go to academia. And I love teaching, love mentoring the undergraduate students that I had the pleasure of working with while I was in grad school. But I don't think that fire or like that passion that I think you see a lot of professors who have their own lab run have. And so, and it's fine. I just, you know, not everybody has that. And so it's okay. I think, you know, but I did kind of go to grad school with the mindset. I was like, okay, going to get grad school, become the, the best scientist that I can be, and then go back and apply the chemistry and solving problems in the industrial setting. I did think, though, that I was going to go back to pharma. Because I do think a lot of times, you know, you go to grad school, it's pharma or academia or kind of like the two main options that a lot of students choose. But my mind was pretty open. I think a lot of times, you know, my time gets like your fourth year, fifth year, just like, I just want a job. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, it's like, I think so sometimes depending upon (laughs) everyone will hire me, I will go. I mean, I I wouldn't take any job, but, you know, I pretty kept a a pretty open mind. And so I was fortunate to come across Dow Chemical at the time. And there was actually a symposium that they held that I applied to be a part of called the BEST Symposium, which stands for Building Engineering and Science Talent at Dow. And in that symposium, I was able to be exposed to all the many different businesses that was in the, you know, within Dow at the time and really understand where my technical background and training was applicable in the broader chemical industry. And it's so funny because even as a grad student, I almost didn't apply to go because it's like, I'm an organic chemist. Like they hire like material scientists and polymer scientists. Like what is an organic chemist going to do at Dow? Like shame on me for thinking that. And so, you know, exactly how I felt like after, you know, day one, the symposium was like, man, how ignorant was my thought process there. So that's kind of where I got introduced to, to Dow Agri-Sciences. And at the time, like I had no idea, right, in the ag world that there was this very much parallel approach to, to pharma. So, you know, in crop protection, it's the same thing. It's just like your end target is different. It's like we want to pharma, obviously humans, but here is like plant health or in the case of controlling insects, just keeping what you're trying to, to control there. And so And so I was really intrigued by the opportunity and just thinking about it and, you know, the the messaging and the purpose behind Dialogue Sciences at the time, right? It's one of those things is like, it's food, right? And the supply chain is something that affects everybody. It's not maybe just like, you know, a subset of a population that have some illness or need some, you know, some type of medication for some condition, right? So it, and so for me, it was, very easy to be inspired to, to go into ag because it is an area of research and importance that touches everybody. It was easy for me I, to easily just become really passionate about what we do, just knowing that in the long term, when you think about what, what, I do, what I do on a daily basis, how does that have overall impact it, and it touches the lives of everyone. So that's how I got into ag and, you know, started it, loved it. And and so that's the other thing too. Like, if I was making a career change, Cargill was a very unique opportunity because it still allowed me to stay in, <laughs> you know, the ag field. So I think like that's a- fascinating. And you know, like you say, there's agriculture impacts basically everyone's everyday life. You know, whether they know it or not, in terms of the food on your table, you know, the thing you pick up from the supermarket, grocery store. You know, it's you don't think about it, but without you guys doing the work you do, yeah, you know, we wouldn't yeah. have the fresh fruit and veg and all that kind of stuff that we do. 
and even just the agricultural products, right? So a lot of times people about crops just going into food, but there's the whole bioindustrial <laughs> segment as well, where, you know, from adhesives to paint, to candles, to packaging, to apparel, <laughs> agriculture has a huge footprint on everything that we do every day. So yeah, it's very eye-opening. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about, you know, agriculture in terms of food earlier on, and I just wondered, we have a random question every episode in terms of what's your favorite fruit, if you had to pick just one? If I had to pick my favorite fruit? Oh my goodness. That's a hard question because I, I like fruit mm-hmm. in general. As I'm sitting here looking around, like in the kitchen right here, there's like, you know, bananas <laughs> over there always. I would say probably my favorite fruit, kiwi. Huh. Mm. Interesting. I actually like kiwi. And Okay. I don't mind. I know some people who like kiwi is like, I'm not going to eat the skin. No, I like kiwi. Go all of it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because uh, yeah. it's actually my least favorite fruit. Funnily enough, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I've uh, I never I've never eaten a kiwi in my life, and you know, 24 years old, I do not intend to ever eat one ever again. <laughs> Wait, but you never tried it, Henry. How how can you not like it if you haven't tried it? Well, yeah, there is that argument, I suppose. You can't knock it before you try it, Henry. True. Just close true. your eyes and take a bite. Try, try, try. <laughs> I think I think you guys have you've inspired me. I'll have to go pick one up and yes. uh, give it a go. I need a pro- I need a photo. <laughs> I feel like the listeners will keep me accountable as well. I was gonna say the next episode you're gonna have to tell people about your experience. I, I will. That's uh that'll be that'll be one of the things in the next episode for sure. Who knows? It may be your new favorite fruit too. Who knows? No, no. Um, I think for me, probably probably grapes are my favorite. And actually, during the pandemic, I started to just freeze my grapes. So I just grab a clutch, put it in the freezer, and they're so good. Like a little snack. It's nice kind of sweet treat. Yeah, frozen grapes are good. I agree. Mm-hmm. Wait, doesn't it hurt your teeth? Like, how do you eat them frozen? No, they're oh. quite uh, quite soft. The skin, so uh... they don't like freeze like hard like ice, right? So yeah, oh. yeah so it's no. not like ice cubes. It's more like no, no, no. Okay, because I was like, how do you eat it? Like your teeth are just. <laughs> Okay, I see. my favorite fruit is pomegranate. I love pomegranate. It, it is a fruit, right? Yeah, it should be. Because uh-huh. I know that cherries, we don't know whether it's berries or fruit. Like this whole discussion about <laughs> berry, is it a berry, is it a fruit? But, but I think pomegranate is a safe one to say. This is an interesting discussion around fruit because I don't like pomegranate. It's like, I love, I love kiwi. Henry's like, I don't even want to taste it. And you're like, I love pomegranate. Pomegranate is one of those I've never, never eaten. So I'm, I'm, I'm just getting fruits I need to try. It's, uh, you know, it's great. So I like the concept, you know, it's hard to get it because you need to like peel it and like cut it. Like it's a whole process. A lot of work. Yeah. But the end result, you know, it's a philosophy, the whole philosophy. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I guess uh, one of the other questions coming back to a serious question. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, but that food discussion was hilarious. In terms of being a double binary in STEM, I think that's a big topic and it's it's a great topic and very important topic. And I think that it was very important, I guess, like a two kind of questions that I, that I, that we had was uh, first <laughs> talk about your experiences of being double minority in STEM. And second one is what can we do as a community to make people aware of it more and, and reach that equity point that I think there's still a long way to go, but I think it's, it's, is it getting better? Is it not getting better? Like, what can you tell us about it? Yeah. So I think anyone who classifies as a double minority in whatever field, it's interesting. And so, and I don't mean interesting, like in a bad, yeah, <laughs> in a bad yeah. way. You know, sometimes some people say interesting and they're like, you yeah. know, uh, oh, maybe unique experiences probably maybe a better way to put it. I think, you know, even 
for myself, I think it took me a while to, to reason with that fact. And so it's so like, you know, going into the STEM field is like, yes, being a woman was one thing, but then realizing the uniqueness that I represented, right? I think it's having that aha moment of, I don't know, it, it, it's a different mindset of saying like, oh, how different I am, right? Versus, you know, shifting to like, no, this is just a unique, <laughs> you know, aspect of being in this career. And really, so there's a story that I like to share because there's experience, I think, that really opened my eyes to and it kind of dovetails into your second question of what, what we can do to close that gap in terms of, I guess, specifically African-Americans, you know, going into to more STEM fields. So like I said, after I finished undergrad, I worked for a couple of years. And during that time, before I was you know, on the fence of going back to school, I was asked to come and talk to a group of high school students at my church to talk about the transition from high school to college, right? So these were juniors and seniors. And so I was fresh, you know, fresh out of college. And so it's like, hey, can we think of you a great person just to share some perspective? And also to like, you know, light the fire under them, like get serious about <laughs> doing good in school so you can go and get into a good college. And I knew some of the Students, I didn't know all of them. And so we did an icebreaker, two truths and a lie. And so the two truths I told them was that I was originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. I was, you know, living in North Carolina at the time. And the second truth I told them that I was currently working as a medicinal chemist doing drug discovery research. The lie I told was that I had six brothers and sisters and I don't, I just have two sisters and a brother. And every single student was adamant that the lie I was telling was that I was a medicinal chemist doing truck discovery research. And for me, that was like a huge aha moment because it's like, okay, here I am, someone who looks like you, right? And I'm telling you, this is what I'm doing currently for my job. And if you don't believe me, there's no way you could ever see yourself doing the exact same thing. And so I think it was just like that moment where it's just like, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not, this is a world less traveled by a lot, not just like women, but also, you know, minorities. And so for me, it was just like, wow. Right. And so that was my big eye opener. It wasn't like, I wasn't aware, right. You know, at the time that, you know, but I was really aware <laughs> after that interaction, because it was just like the sheer disbelief, right. It was like, you know, so genuine. It wasn't like, you know, they were just giving me a hard time that like I was pulling their leg or anything like that. They just really didn't believe that that was something possible. And so it was interesting because, you know, at the time it was right around that time, which was like, am I going to go back to school? Am I not going to go back to school? I ultimately decided to, to go back to school, but I would say that gave that experience gave me that extra push because yes, I really do want to go get my PhD, become a better scientist, right? You know, I'm just getting that formal academic training. But then at the same time, it's like, I have to do this to show other people that yes, you can do this. And this is, or you, you can have a rewarding career and okay, sure. It may be hard, but you can do it. And so that was kind of what really catalyzed me to also to, to do a lot of STEM outreach, right? Because, you know, to your question of how do we help close the gap? I think part of it is one, raising awareness that these types of careers exist, but then also having that association of knowing someone who looks like you is doing the same things to give that, you know, mindset, I guess, 
I can do it too. And so that's why it's super important for me to, to participate in those types of you know, outreach and why it's pretty active in Nobuche, right? And so we did tons of outreach in, in the area. And then also when at Dow Corteva, we had like a science ambassadors group, making sure, you know, to be there on the front lines when they go in the community, to be in the community to say, hey, this is career science is, you know, for everyone. Yeah. And so I think, you know, for me, fair or not fair, it's debatable, but I, I do put that extra responsibility upon myself to be visible, right? <laughs> and I would say I would slap myself on hand because I'm really not that visible <laughs> as it is today. Like I'm not a social media person. I don't even have a LinkedIn account, which I think I've promised multiple times to multiple people that I was going to make one. And I have fallen short of that promise. <laughs> but, you know, back to your question too about being a minority. So it's kind of like, you know, you have Ewok, right? And so like that checks, you know, one box, but I think it doesn't necessarily check the other box. And last year, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to participate like I wanted, but I don't know if you guys are aware there was the Black and Kim. I, you know, I know that's a, a move that's been started and I know they were really successful. And so being a minority, you have to find, <laughs> you know, multiple outlets because, you know, experience as a woman is one thing, but then, you know, the experience as being African-American in the workplace is another. And so I can tell you many times there, many times I walk in the room, I'm only, it's very rare these days I'm only woman, right? You know, but a lot of times it's also to be the only, you know, person of color that could be in a particular meeting or setting too. I think there again, it's a, it's a mind shift to like not try to, to focus on, I think, like I said, being different, but kind of take it as like unique opportunities. Like, yes, I may be the only person in this room looks like me, but you know, I bring something different to the table, unique perspective, this down the other. So thank you for sharing this the story. Cause I mean, it literally gave me, I, I'm pretty sure to Henry too, like goosebumps. Personally, you know, and, and this may be controversial in terms of an opinion, but I think like just shows how privileged, you know, myself as a white male and like other individuals are in terms of, you know, you, I think there's a perception and, and from what you've said, it's kind of clearer is that those from minority backgrounds feel sometimes that they have to work that bit harder because people aren't, you know, as accepting. And, and certainly from what you said about the two truths and a lie that, you know, was the case. And I think people just need to kind of change their mindsets, like you said, on, on kind of what they perceive as, you know, people's experiences. And, uh, you know, I think uh, what you're doing with Ewok is just going to, you know, help that and kind of giving that platform for people to discuss these things openly because there is stigma and issues around that and I think you know that needs to be quashed as, as, as quick as possible really. Yeah everyone has something unique to offer <laughs> in any situation because no one walks the same path <laughs> in life right and so you know I do my best to to do my part you know in terms of you know at least making sure that minorities who have not yet decided upon a career they're like hey science is an option but, you know, my perspective, too, I think a lot of times, too, you grow up, you're just like, oh, to be successful, you be, become a doctor or you become a lawyer. And I would say, I think, I think, don't quote me on this, <laughs> for sure that, though, when it comes to, if you look at the demographics in those professions, it's not as stark as it is in STEM, like based, you know, particularly research fields. And so science is not what I'm going to do to be successful. You know, it's just like, I'll go be a doctor, not to say that doctors in science are right, but like, you know, when you go into like a hardcore STEM field, it's, you know, doctor, lawyer. I don't know how to change that. I mean, again, I think it's just, you know, if people are interested in going to medical school and becoming a doctor, there's an inherent interest in science too. And so it's just 
ultimately, if you want to be a doctor, great, but like, just don't discount, <laughs> you know, the other opportunities in science as well. So I think one of the things that I found personally inspiring in your story is the fact that you can always turn any challenge into an opportunity, right? And I love how you could be just like students in that school, in the church, being like, oh, I cannot do that. But instead, you grew out of that mindset and you were like, well, why I cannot do it? Because I think at the end of the day, it's all these challenges that make you unique. And I think every person, the way how they are, it's just all based on all their experiences and all their past. And the energy that you have, I personally feel like it's it's so strong and, and like it it's just incredible. And I feel like it wouldn't be like that if, if you didn't go through all this hard moments in your life. And I think that's like, it's just, wow. Like I, I love meeting people like that. Like, thank you for coming. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's see clear. Like in grad school, I think there was probably some stints and the people who allowed me at the time, like I quit like every day. I used to be like, <laughs> so like I quit. And then I'd be back the next morning. They were like, yeah, we've actually quit. I was like, quiet. Yeah. Back, I'll try again. And then I quit again. Right. But you just, you know, you go through like these, uh, you know, cycles. But I think the best way to send yourself is just to remember your why. So it was like, okay, this is why I'm here. There'll be good days, there'll be bad days, but you have to look at the bigger picture, like, and come back to, you know, your personal reason of why you're doing what you're doing. So, and I think that's, I mean, that's, that leads us on really well to our kind of final, we like to have a philosophical question in there in terms of, you know, when, when something, when something isn't working in life. So you talked there about, you know, times in grad school when things perhaps didn't go to plan. What is it that keeps you motivated to just keep on going and kind of keeps that fire kind of burning? Yeah, I guess I did just answer that question for you, huh? I think it for me, it's really, I, I come back to the why, right? And so like in any moment of frustration of whatever task you're doing, how big or small, just, you know, come back to the why, why, why are you doing this, right? And so as long as you, you have a strong and purposeful why, I think that hopefully that should, you know, re-motivate or reignite your fuel to, to figure a way to navigate through through the hard times, right? And so from either, you know, the why of why you go to grad school, the why of, you know, you're in the job or career that you've chosen, or even, I don't know, get frustrated doing, you know, silly things. I don't know, probably like when you like to eat your pomegranate, right? It's just like, oh my God, <laughs> am I ever going to get to the fruit? And why? And it's like, oh, because it tastes so good. And so it's like, you <laughs> 100% like I'm a, such a big why person like I, I keep and I, I had a couple of friends in grad school who would like we would just have a long conversation about something and I was like well why, why do you want to do PG like why are you doing it and then they wouldn't be able to answer and then months after that they actually thought about it and then they come back to me and they're like you know what I thought about it and I actually don't want to do it so thank you for for you know telling me that so I think a lot of people don't think about why they're just doing it because they're doing like it's just you know makes sense I guess but it's so important to ask why and I do I do think for a lot of people you know you just touched on there Medina you know I asked myself the why of you know why was I doing the PhD and ultimately I came to the decision that it wasn't what I want to do and I, I could do something else and you know that's the point I got to but I think that's something the pandemic I think and Kim I'm sure you can reflect on this as well has given people is that time to kind of reflect and figure out why you know they're doing what they're doing. The pandemic you know gift and a curse I mean I think anybody who sits long enough with their thoughts can get you know can be a scary thing to do <laughs> but yeah. I mean like but I think it's been, been a time for a lot of people to do a lot of introspection a lot of people are starting new businesses or, you know, working for themselves versus, uh, you know, other companies. And so, but I think it's, 
good every once in a while, even if things are going great to, to come back and just like, why am I doing this again? <laughs> to kind of center yourself. Okay. That's why. We're on the same page. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, even, you know, working out, it's just like, why am I about to do this? Yeah. For me, it's like, so I cannot think twice about what I want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good reason. Yeah. Workout be healthy. Yeah. That too. But yeah. Yep. No. Everyone has their own reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to have your own. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, we, we, we've covered so much today, Kim. I just, if, um, if people want to kind of get in touch with you, I know you said, you know, you're not on social media too much, but how, how would they want to get in touch to, I don't know, find out more about Ewok or, you know, what it is you do? Absolutely. I would say feel free to, to email me. My email address, I get laughs or smirks or whatever when I tell people because it's chemistry, uh, but spelled K-I-M-I-S-T-R-Y-0-5 at gmail.com <laughs> i need to ask when did you make that email i was an undergrad it was a late night studying for chemistry you know it's kind of like procrastinating it's like i should be studying for like whatever messaging and then it just kind of stuck with me it's so funny quick funny story around that too so like when i was in grad school i signed up to you know to be a tutor to tutor other undergrads who are getting chemistry and i chose my alias or whatnot that was my email when i was at unc to be chemistry right and to the people who like, you know, there's this long list, like you're here, I'll be like a tutor. And like, honestly, like everyone that I ended up tutoring, reached out, I was like, yeah, reach out to me because of your email address. And I was like, oh, okay, good. Awesome. Good to know, good but to know. It, it's, you know, hindsight is like, it's pretty corny, but you know, it's a part of who I am today. So it's not going there. Great. <laughs> I think that's both. amazing. It made you, made you who you are. Chemistry05 <laughs> at Gmail. Yeah. Anyone can reach out anytime. The funny thing though, is like, I use it as like my username for some stuff, but sometimes when I sign for stuff, it's like, it's already taken. I'm like, who else is using this? <laughs> Get mad. You're like, excuse me, that's me? Like, that's rude? I was like, gosh, I guess it wasn't as innovative as I thought at the time, but hey. Hopefully I will also fulfill on my promise very soon and be on LinkedIn. Get Twitter. Oh, that's asking a lot, Medina. <laughs> no, chemistry Twitter is so much better than, I mean, I don't really like LinkedIn that much. Chemistry community is really great on Twitter. Like that's how I got to know Henry. Like we never knew each other yeah. beforehand. And we have like, there's a lot of different, like it also depends on who you follow, but then like you can always get like new papers out and like someone is like, oh, I'm struggling as a PI or I'm struggling as a grad. And, like you can always relate yourself and like people are usually very friendly on average. <laughs> yes, I should do all of these things. And Thank you for lighting the fire under me. Yeah, no, I want our chemistry community on Twitter know this awesome person because if you got on Twitter and hopefully everyone will listen to this episode and be like, follow her. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think, I, I definitely think from what we've talked about today, people should, you know, be able to hear your story. And I think, you yeah, know, having community like Twitter there to, you know, listen is is really empowering. And, you know, definitely Ewok, you know, if if you're not, if you're not already, you know, on Twitter, that would be, you know, definitely a platform to, to use. I know. I need to, I need to get it together. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. I, I'll just email you maybe in a month or so, being just a friendly reminder. Feel free. Because honestly, I do have, uh, I do have friends and colleagues who do really like him. You're still not on LinkedIn. What is... Then I overthink it. I was just like, I need a new, I don't know, headshot. I need a new, like, you know, I can come up with an excuse. See, with Twitter, it's easier. No, I think LinkedIn is more professional. Like Twitter is not as professional. Like you can literally put a picture of whatever, like a, I don't know, a Kiwi profile picture. <laughs>
Oh man, uh, I'm gonna definitely get some kiwi later today. Now that we talked about it, so. <laughs> me, me, me too. Apparently, yeah. Yes, uh, and, yes, and Henry, just, yeah. Yeah. just try it. Just you know, I will. I say I'll uh, I'll report back uh, you know next time. So yep. tune in for the next episode, if only just to hear about the kiwi. Just to hear about the kiwi. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thanks again. It's been fascinating. We've learned so much, I think, about Ewok and, and yourself as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, thank you. Yeah. yeah, no, thank you for having me. Brilliant. Well, as I say, if uh, people want to reach out to Kim, you can drop her an email. If you want to follow us, you can over on Twitter at Camp Combos Pod. All's left to say is thank you for listening and have a great day. Yeah, see you.